What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone, Lindsay Gibbs here with Steph Young, the great NWSL slash women's soccer writer for the Athletic Stars and Stripes FC. And she has her own podcast, Two Drunk Fans, which we highly recommend. Steph, thank you so much for joining us here on Burn It All Down. Thanks for having me. So we decided we needed to kind of have a whole hot take episode to talk about National Women's Soccer League. There was just the draft and I know you were there. So I guess my first question is, and I apologize to anyone, I just got home from work, which means my dog is going a little bit crazy in the background because he has not gotten attention all day. So if you hear some little bells jingling, that's just Mo saying hi. Um, (laughs) But uh, first of all, I what is what is the atmosphere like for the NWSL draft? What is the setup like? Take us take us to the scene in Chicago a little bit. Uh, it was at uh, McCormick Convention Center. Honestly, NWSL draft is one of the things that the league gets right. The first year, the draft was a tiny cramped little room. They could not fit all the media in. Apparently, once you were in, you couldn't leave. So I remember seeing tweets where they were like, giving people money and sending runners for water to bring oh, back no. them, like, to go get provisions, go scouting oh. and bring them back provisions to live. So it's evolved. Re- they've, they've really taken it up a notch. Uh, it was in a nice big ballroom. It's been that way for the past couple of years. This year they had a DJ. Oh, wow. Who was, uh, yeah. Doing the music live DJ, Amy Robbins. She made them a personalized Spotify playlist for the draft. Um, you know, and then they have roped off sections for media, for fans, and then a VIP space for players and parents. It was really cool because you could kind of look over um, both on the stream and, you know, live and see players waiting with their families. My favorite was actually Jasmine Jackman. She was taken number 21. And her father, you probably saw it on the stream if you were watching, just let out this huge whoop. But <laughs> the thing you would have gotten if you were live is... He, the VIP section is on one side of the room. And then the press section was all the way, like almost in the opposite corner behind a bunch of, of the heavy curtains that they set up to create the partitions. And we heard him just like as clear as day all the way back in the press area. So it's kind of nice to see. It's, it's just really sweet, you know, seeing kids and their parents are all happy for them and people are crying. So it's a nice event. I highly recommend attending a draft if possible. I think next year it's in Baltimore. Oh, that's great news for me uh, as a DC person. So I can certainly make that a lot easier. So that's exciting. Well, okay, so let's let's get down to the the nitty gritty a little bit. I, I read your piece of the Athletic, and 
I love how you start off by by talking about, you know, there's 220 players who, I guess the phrase is, make themselves eligible for the draft and decide to kind of put their name in the mix. This is for 36 draft slots. What goes into players deciding now is the time? Because I know there's a mix of, there's some international players, there's players who haven't who aren't seniors, who haven't quite graduated, who still have some college eligibility left. It seems like there's kind of a wide array of circumstances. Uh, Is that fair to say? I would say 99% were graduating seniors. They only this year changed the rule, I think, where uh, you could enter the draft even if you had some NCAA eligibility left. And I think they did it because they wanted to get Tierna Davidson in, and she's still (laughs) a junior at Stanford. Um, so they, they changed out the rules, which is fine because it's paving the way for players who are like, okay, I'm not going to get anything more out of college ball. I want to turn pro now. Although, as we know, on the women's side, not just in soccer, a four-year college degree can be really important because once you're done with the sport, you're still probably in your late 20s, early 30s. You got to make a living. And odds are you did not make you know, millions of dollars as a woman. You didn't make Serena Williams money. That's pretty rare these days still so most of them are graduating seniors and then they put their name in and the ones I spoke to at the draft they all said you know it was the culmination of a dream since childhood since they were five nine eleven years old which it's kind of depressing to think that's 10 years ago so that would have been 2009 I definitely was not a child in 2009. That does make me feel old for sure. (laughs) They're talking about like, yeah, I was five years old and and watching the players who are on the team now play. And I'm like, oh, Oh, I used to watch. Great. I used to watch Mia Hamm play Michelle Akers, like original 99ers, 96. Okay, sure. Great. You look so young and healthy and like you moisturize and drink a lot of water. That's great. I don't feel insecure at all. Uh, so one thing before we get into, obviously, Tierna Davidson was the number one pick from from Stanford, number one pick in the draft. No surprise to anyone. Um, but right right before the draft, there was an announcement that, or was it the day of? It was all right around the same time that the NWSL salary was going up a little bit for 2019. So I, I think it was the day before that they announced. It was very close to the actual draft that they announced the changes. It didn't give anyone any time to let that sway their decision, that's for sure. <laughs> right, out. right. Yeah. Although the, the actual... Um, so yeah, I think it was the day of like literally an hour before the draft, but they, I'm not sure that even that news would have swayed anyone to to be like, oh, I missed my chance. I really could have gotten in on something special here in terms of money, at least, because the new minimum is 16500 about there, and the new max is a little over 46000 I mean, it's obviously an improvement. In 2013, the original... The minimum was six thousand. The max was thirty thousand, and then it's like a I think it's an exactly five percent bump over twenty eighteen. So they're okay. They're going I think as fast as they can. I would love for the minimum in this uh, league to be one hundred fifty thousand dollars, but no owner, not even Portland, is going to be able to swing that. And even if you know the bigger teams, MLS back teams could, the smaller teams who have you know, non-MLS owners probably couldn't, even if you're the governor of New Jersey or the CFO of Bed Bath & Beyond. 
will get there in one second. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone's listened to Burn It All Down recently, you absolutely know what Steph is referring to. But first, so like we said, no surprise with the number one pick in the draft with uh, Davidson from Stanford going to the Chicago Red Stars. Any other surprises for you in the first round? What were your kind of takeaways? Um, I think the first round wasn't too much of a surprise from where you, for me, it was more like who dropped out of the first round. Mm-hmm. I didn't think Kayla McCoy would necessarily go first round. She's from Duke and Houston took her 18, but I think she, I thought she would be a little bit higher on the list. Um, so I didn't expect to see her dropping to the bottom of the second round, but you know, she still got drafted. I'm sure she doesn't care what order it was in. Well, so, you know, as a D.C. person, I have to, I, I say that like I'm a D.C. native. I've been here for three and a half years, but I, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's it's what I've got. The Washington Spirit had, I believe, four first round picks. And yep. they had a pretty poor season last year, <laughs> safe to say. Uh, what are your thoughts about the haul the Washington Spirit got? Do uh, Spirit fans have any reason to be optimistic Looking towards the future, I know there was kind of an ownership announcement recently. Mm-hmm. Tell us what's going on in, well, I say D.C., but it's really Maryland. <laughs> so I would say the Spirit should definitely be excited about Jordan DiBiase. If you watched any college ball, I think she's a pretty good player. Uh, Tegan McGrady, too. That's another one for you guys to be excited about. Um I would say what concerns me most right now are not necessarily the draft picks. It's their new coaching hire, Richie Burke. Okay. He came on because there's been kind of a shift in the ownership of the spirit. Uh, Bill Lynch found another person to come on. I don't know if the new person has majority ownership or not, but he hired. I think it's 49%, right? Uh, It's something. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a small stake. It's a significant stake. And he brought on Richie Burke, who just so happened to be his daughter's former high school coach when his daughter was in high school. So this 49 percenters. Yes. uh, Former daughter. Oh, oh, yeah. So it's ringing all (laughs) kinds of alarm bells, particularly that, you know, kind of the latest gig. I think that most people can find for him is is that he he was a high school coach. Now, he's had some higher level experience in that, but he has never coached a top flight women's team and as far as i can tell he hasn't even been an assistant coach for a top flight women's team so it seems like he's jumped a lot of hurdles due to a relationship with one of the owners i can't say for a fact that's what happened but it certainly has the appearance of that being what happened and that's really concerning because obviously uh as anyone who's been paying attention that you know the washington spirit there's been ownership problems for a while now with players not feeling always super comfortable playing within the culture and environment. And they were doing at least well on the field for a little bit, but recently that even hasn't been the case. So are there kind of any, is there any reason to be hopeful beyond this draft? I think the world cup is going to be a big equalizer. So if the spirit prove that they've drafted well and they integrate with the players who aren't going to be there, and they integrate well with players who who stay behind, who aren't going to the World Cup. I think this year is going to be as level of playing field as any, because it's not just the United States. Canada's gone, Brazil's gone, the Australians are gone. You know, um, so a lot of your big name players 
our way most of the year, particularly the United States. I don't think they're going to be there for more than a third of the season, and that's optimistic. So there's a big chance now, not just to make their roster, but to play other teams that are basically even strength. A lot of them that are in the same spot as you. Some of them might have less roster turnover. So, you know, I think the teams that have more continuity from last season to this one will probably have an edge. But I think it's as level this year as it's ever going to be. That's a really good point. So there's a hint of optimism there for Spirit fans. But okay, now that was all self-serving a little bit. Uh, There was one team who hasn't even... I would say bleaker outlook than the spirit do. And that is sky blue. Um, of course, during last season, there were reports that the facilities that sky blue were um, both practicing in and playing in were completely subpar, no running water. We're talking trailers. We're talking ice baths and trash cans for Carly Lloyd. We're talking houses with, Uh, housing conditions with um, sketchy uh, participants (laughs) with the housing situations. We're talking uh, towels being, blankets being stuffed in walls for insulation. Just, I mean, incredibly bleak things for a team that is owned by the New Jersey governor, Phil Murphy, which who we called out at Think Progress, as well as the Bed Bath & Beyond guys. So, has there been any progress? It's been a couple months since our last update on uh, Burn It All Down, which was that there had not been any progress. So has there been any progress headed into the draft? No. And I don't think we'll hear about anything for about the next month. We spoke to Tony Novo, the like collective media did. He was made available after the draft for five or six minutes. And he's the general manager, correct? He's the general manager and president. Yeah. And, you know... He has presided over all the things that you just mentioned. And when asked, can you name you know, a concrete change that Sky Blue has made in the offseason, a uh, short answer was he said that he couldn't tell us yet. And he said, you know, in the next 30 or so days, look for Sky Blue to make announcements regarding probably training facilities and or housing. Um, to be completely fair, the housing cap went up this season. Apparently it about doubled and this season it's 90 some thousand dollars that you can spend on housing for the entire team so you can imagine trying to stretch forty five thousand dollars to house 20 people for six to eight months in the new jersey area yeah that's that's tough to do they they did it in boston though and it's not like boston was particularly cheap now boston did fold but they managed to, you know, house people in apparently satisfactory conditions in, you know, as a resident of Boston in, in one of the not greatest, you know, uh, price-wise housing situations that I've ever seen. So I, I don't necessarily hold with, like, it was so hard that we had to, you know, cut corners to the point where players felt they had to speak out. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, they're not moving from Rutgers. So I can't imagine he's announcing suddenly their playing facility has all the amenities that, you know, a player in Orlando or Portland might enjoy. Um, I don't know about their practice field either. Hopefully it'll have better than an RV with a single shower. Yeah, it's not not asking a lot. And yet it's also disturbing that, you know, I mean, we're talking, what, five months after these initial reports came out uh, that 
you still can't guarantee that is a little bothersome, right? Like, uh, it, this can't be that that difficult. But as, as, as I understood it, obviously Sky Blue drafted some players. They were there. But how are these players feeling about being drafted to Sky Blue? So I think there's a little bit of a divide between those who went higher in the draft and those who came after them. The first rounders... Uh, Haley Mace and Julia Ashley, I don't think it's likely that either one's going to report. There was a report in Equalizer Soccer where they said they had a source who told them that Haley Mace is straight up not going to report to Sky Blue. I mean, she's the number two pick. She was supposed to be number one before Tierna Davidson suddenly declared. So <laughs> maybe there was a, a text sent like, thanks, man. I mean, I'm happy for you, but God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then Julie Ashley, you know, she straight up told media after right after she came off stage with her acceptance speech, I guess you'd call it, that, um, you know, she's still exploring playing overseas. And she talked about Germany, France, Sweden. So that leaves them with, you know, I'm not going to say they're lesser players, but they do come from smaller programs. They don't have national team experience like Haley Mace has had. Um, and I think, you know, you get picked in the fourth round, you get taken number 34 out of 36, you're probably just happy to be there, you know? So yeah. I th- I do think some of them genuinely are like, okay, it's my time to make a difference. This is a team at the bottom. There's, there's literally nothing to lose here. So why don't I just go for it, at least for this one season, do my best. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then I'm still only 22, 23 years old. I have a degree from a nice college. You know, I've got 16 grand for eight months work. Let me spend four months at home, then I get a, a real job. There are other players from Sky Blue, so not from the draft, mm-hmm. as I understand it, who have announced that they're not coming back. Is that correct? Uh, Yes. Some players are leaving. Some are getting traded. Um. I know I think at least two of them are at least one is maybe going overseas and then they lost, you know, one of their better scoring options in Shea Groom to a trade. But they are getting Japanese international Naho Kawasumi in return. And Naho gave a statement that said she will play for Sky Blue FC. A lot of people speculated, okay, they traded for Naho. Naho is now probably going to retire. Do you think it's good that players are putting down their feet in this way and saying until ownership makes some changes we're not going to go there do you think it's troubling for the future of the league um what what do you see this this meaning i mean generally when it comes to labor versus management i am always pro-labor and in this case i'm still pro-labor i'm actually really um i'm really impressed by these kids who are like I don't have to just accept the bare minimum. I have my own career. They're, they have their own development even as players to think about. They're coming out of the NCAA, which for all that it does provide certain opportunities and development levels, doesn't actually prepare you that well for international soccer or even pro soccer in the United States. Almost everyone who comes out of college and is asked about, you know, how's your first season? They're like, oh, man, it's so intense. You know, it's it's way more uh, athletic than, and, you know, the pace is so much faster. So your rookie season, you're probably thinking, I need to find a coach who's going to develop me. 
you know, even if I'm not going to get a ton of minutes, I need someone who can work with me and help me grow as a player so that I can become an actual pro. And then you look at Sky Blue FC with their record and then with their ownership, and you probably think, that's where I'm going to have to go in, you know, the very beginning of my career. So I understand if some of them who are like, you know, I, I have national national team aspirations. Um, I can understand them being like, I need to go what's I need to go where is best for me. And that is obviously not sky blue. So I am 100 percent behind a player who's making decision for themselves and their career. Yeah, and especially because it seems that nobody else besides, obviously, we, we've, we're big fans of the work that Cloud9, the Sky Blue uh, fan club, has been doing advocating for the players, um, the journalists, Equalizer Soccer. I mean, there have been so many people doing great work on what's done there. But as far as the other owners in the league, as far as the NWSL, as far as U.S. Soccer... Have we seen anyone put any actual pressure on Sky Blue to, you know, get their act together? Not publicly, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was happening and we weren't, we just weren't getting a single whiff of it. Because when it wants to, NWSL can hold its cards very close to its chest. Very close. Sometimes to its own detriment. I've criticized the league on this before where... Sometimes if you just give fans and reporters a little bit of a morsel of information, they'll back off a lot and they'll give you some breathing room. Um, sometimes, you know, where we they were criticized with regards to stuff about their disciplinary committee procedures, stuff like that. Like, how are you determining, you know, who gets suspended and who doesn't for what offenses, what fouls, like what counts as, you know, too violent for you and what doesn't? We need a little more transparency on this. And they just... You know, we're so tight-lipped about it that people made up worst-case scenarios in their head, which isn't doesn't just happen in, in sports, right? It happens anywhere where people want right. information, but there's a vacuum. So they'll fill it up <laughs> with whatever they want, and it tends to be pretty negative because they're mad at you for not giving you giving them information. Um, so I... I have to imagine that there ha- somebody has said something because there's been so much negative press. It's like it's kind of, you know, tainting the league in that it's like the big story that anyone is going to be bringing up for a while whenever someone mentions NWSL. That impacts the other owners and it, you know, it impacts the league. So I have to imagine somebody has said something, but is it strong enough like to actually create change? We don't know. We'll see. Maybe come March or April. I mean, yeah, the the number two overall draft pick saying they're not going to report like that's that's a huge story. That's yeah, a, that's a big deal, and it's it's it, like you said, it's really impressive that she is taking that stance, and that's got to get traction. Now it's up to the media, it's up to people to kind of amplify her decision um, so that it puts kind of the adequate pressure to you know, just make, just professionalize things a little bit. This is supposed to be professional. This is, uh, there's no reason why this stuff should be happening. All right, let's finish on a positive note. What should people be excited about looking into the 2019 NWSL season? There's obviously a couple different narratives. Uh, and I'll go with two, one from the top and one from the bottom. The one from the top is North Carolina Courage. Can they keep up the pace into 2019? 
the their style was just so relentless in 2018. And I think Paul Riley actually drafted fairly well for what he wants to do with the North Carolina Courage. Um, and, you know, he's probably, they're all planning for losing their national team players. He's definitely planning for what he's going to do without Crystal Dunn. So are they going to be able to keep up the pace that they had in 2018? Or how are they, how are they going to adjust? You know, they have a, a lot on the line here. They were, the 2018 season was just, it was like a season of destiny for them. So it's it's a lot of pressure, right? Not just being defending champs, but the way that they won all season long. People are going to want more, but it, as we all know, it's hard to go at 100 miles per hour 100% of the time. We'll see. And then the other end, can Sky Blue turn it around? Because as much as I harp on Sky Blue, it's the ownership. For the players, even for the coach, Denise Reddy, I would love to see a turnaround. I want to see them win more than one game all season long. I want to see smiles at Yersak Field. These players work so hard that, you know, I think they deserve to see some results. I, d- I don't like seeing any team losing every game. That's not fun. Unless you're just completely, you know, a real cold-hearted bee. You can't you can't yeah. even take any joy out of whooping a team like five nothing. It's it's like you know, it's like beating up somebody who's already given up. It's there's right. just nothing to be achieved from that. So I would love to see Sky Blue turn around. I don't think they're gonna be in the playoffs or anything, but I like to see them solidly out of the bottom. So maybe sixth or seventh place out of nine. Right. Yeah. Um I know that's that's kind of a low bar but no but being competitive yeah. right just being competitive on a on a you know week by week basis would be would be a step in the right direction yeah i want every single week for someone to go oh i don't know sky blue could win this week instead of like last right. season when everyone was like yeah they'll probably lose all right well thank you so much steph for joining us steph writes at stars and stripes fc she has a great podcast at two drunk fans she writes for the athletic uh which of course i love and on twitter what's your twitter handle again steph at thrace t-h-r-a-c-e you know you are our resident nwsl expert so we hope to have you back soon i hope i come back with many more positive story yeah (laughs) 